Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors. But it's liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Thank you, as always, for making us a part of your Sunday afternoon. We begin and dedicate most of this program to the late Queen Elizabeth II, who, of course, died this past week at 96 at Balmoral Castle in Scotland. Before we do that, though, a reminder of our presenting sponsor. Could not do this program without Attorney John Boson and the team at Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N Law, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. They're also getting involved with Camp Lejeune and the toxic water there. If you or someone you know needs help and they served our great country, please get in touch with John Boson at bosonlaw.com or 303-999-9999. I have said perhaps on this program over the years that I consider myself an Anglophile. I love British history and I certainly had the utmost respect for Queen Elizabeth. You think about what she she had seen in her life from Britain's depression to, of course, being a child during World War II and the way in which her father became king and then his untimely death in February of 1952 and Queen Elizabeth becoming queen at just 25. Just a few days ago, this is how the news broke on CNN. This is CNN Breaking News. I want to go straight to London. I want to bring in CNN Royal Correspondent uh, Max Foster outside Buckingham Palace. Max, what are you learning? Uh, the Queen has died, um, very sadly. Um, she died peacefully at Balmoral this afternoon. Uh, the King and Queen Consort were referenced there to Charles. He automatically becomes King, will remain at Balmoral this evening, and will return to London tomorrow. Now, while some um, people described the death as shocking, if there's any extra there, it really obviously was a life well lived. 96 years old is phenomenal. And what a run. But for England and so many tens of millions of people that only knew one monarch, Queen Elizabeth, 
It was, obviously, an incredibly sad moment to hear she had passed. Buckingham Palace has just announced that Britain's Queen Elizabeth has died at her Balmoral retreat. She was 96. The formal notice is just being posted on the gates of Buckingham Palace. The longest reigning monarch in British history is dead. It is a day of great loss. But Queen Elizabeth II leaves a great legacy. The new British Prime Minister. Through thick and thin, Queen Elizabeth II provided us with the stability and the strength that we needed. And it was just two days before Queen Elizabeth passed that she had met the new Prime Minister at Balmoral. The passing of the second Elizabethan age, we usher in a new era in the magnificent history of our great country exactly as Her Majesty would have wished, by saying the words, God save the King. Harry Truman was president when Elizabeth began her reign seven decades ago. She'd met with every president since, with the lone exception of Lyndon Johnson. Just last year, after Joe Biden visited Windsor Castle, the current president said the Queen reminded him of his mother. In terms of the look of her and, you know, just the generosity. As Queen Elizabeth visited the White House four times, including in 1976, to mark the 200th anniversary of America's independence from Great Britain. Gerald Ford noted at the time that the wounds of the parting had long healed. CBS newsman Stephen Portnoy. As we take a look at the incredible life, and we cannot do it justice, obviously, Queen Elizabeth II died last week, as you know, at 96. So young when she took over at just 25. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. As you heard, Queen Elizabeth visited the White House four different times, and in 1991, she addressed a joint session of Congress. I know what a rare privilege it is to address a joint meeting of your two houses. Thank you for inviting me. The concept, so simply described by Abraham Lincoln, as government by the people, of the people, for the people, is fundamental to our two nations. Your Congress and our Parliament are the twin pillars of our civilizations and the chief among the many treasures that we have inherited from our predecessors. We, like you, are staunch believers in the freedom of the individual and the rule of a fair and just law. These principles are shared with our European partners and with the wider Atlantic community. They are the bedrock of the Western world. Some people believe that power grows from the barrel of a gun. So it can, but history shows that it never grows well nor for very long. Force in the end is sterile. We have gone a better way. Our societies rest on mutual agreement, on contract, and on consensus. A significant part of your social contract is written down in your constitution. Ours rests on custom and will. The spirit behind both, however, is precisely the same. It is the spirit of democracy. The Queen from 1991 in front of a joint session of Congress on Capitol Hill. Just this past Friday, the new king, who also lost his mother. The affection, admiration and respect she inspired 
became the hallmark of her reign. And as every member of my family can testify, she combined these qualities with warmth, humor, and an unerring ability always to see the best in people. I pay tribute to my mother's memory and I honor her life of service. I know that her death brings great sadness to so many of you, and I share that sense of loss beyond measure with you all. Charles, now King Charles III. Queen Elizabeth was a life well lived, a promise with destiny kept, and she is mourned most deeply in her passing. That promise of lifelong service I renew to you all today. Now, I will say, as uh, someone from a family that has, over the decades, said they did not care for then-Prince Charles, I thought just this past Friday, just a couple of days ago, his delivery to not only his country, but to the world, was outstanding. In a little over a week's time, we will come together as a nation, as a commonwealth, and indeed a global community to lay my beloved mother to rest. In our sorrow, let us remember and draw strength from the light of her example. On behalf of all my family, I can only offer the most sincere and heartfelt thanks for your condolences and support. They mean more to me than I can ever possibly express. And as the little less than 10-minute address on Friday wrapped up, you could see visibly the emotion in the new king. To my darling mama, as you begin your last great journey to join my dear late papa, I want simply to say this. Thank you. Thank you for your love and devotion to our family and to the family of nations you have served so diligently all these years. May flights of angels sing thee to thy rest. And once again, from the Queen at 25. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and to the service of our great imperial family, to which we all belong. Rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth II. We'll have more coming up in our next two segments. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We continue now on the American Veteran Show with our tribute to Queen Elizabeth II. This is London. His Majesty King George VI. Let us remember the men in all the services. Are the women 
and all of the services who have laid down their lives. We have come to the end of our tribulation, and they are not with us at the moment of our rejoicing. I speak to you today at the same hour as my father did exactly 75 years ago. His message then was a salute to the men and women at home and abroad who had sacrificed so much in pursuit of what he rightly called a great deliverance. The war had been a total war. It had affected everyone and no one was immune from its impact. Whether it be the men and women called up to serve, families separated from each other, or people asked to take up new roles and skills to support the war effort, all had a part to play. At the start, the outlook seemed bleak, the end distant, the outcome uncertain. But we kept faith that the cause was right. And this belief, as my father noted in his broadcast, carried us through. Never give up, never despair. That was the message of VE Day. I vividly remember the jubilant scenes my sister and I witnessed with our parents and Winston Churchill from the balcony of Buckingham Palace. The sense of joy in the crowds who gathered outside and across the country was profound. Though while we celebrated the victory in Europe, we knew there would be further sacrifice. It was not until August that fighting in the Far East ceased and the war finally ended. Many people laid down their lives in that terrible conflict. They fought so we could live in peace, at home and abroad. They died so we could live as free people in a world of free nations. They risked all so our families and neighborhoods could be safe. We should and will remember them. As I now reflect on my father's words and the joyous celebrations which some of us experienced firsthand, I'm thankful for the strength and courage that the United Kingdom the Commonwealth and all our allies displayed. The wartime generation knew that the best way to honor those who did not come back from the war was to ensure that it didn't happen again. The greatest tribute to their sacrifice is that countries who were once sworn enemies are now friends, working side by side for the peace, health and prosperity of us all. Today, it may seem hard that we cannot mark this special anniversary as we would wish. Instead, we remember from our homes and our doorsteps. But our streets are not empty. They are filled with the love and the care that we have for each other. And when I look at our country today and see what we are willing to do to protect and support one another, I say with pride, that we are still a nation those brave soldiers, sailors and airmen would recognize and admire. I send my warmest good wishes to you all. That from VE Day, the 75th anniversary, just a couple of years ago. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, 
shall be devoted to your service. This is the story of an unlikely rebel. She broke rules and yielded to change in one of the world's most rigid families. This is the story of Elizabeth II, a queen who might very well be Great Britain's most revolutionary royal. Well, she was a rebel. She was a master of soft power. She might not be remembered as a disruptor, but she was in many ways, because there's a few things that she did which were really unique to her reign. Your Majesty, thank you very much for this very great day for us. Those things included televised ceremonies and tweets, walkabouts and charity work, and a simple proverb, silence is golden, all of which seems pretty ordinary. But that's also the secret to how Queen Elizabeth became one of the most influential leaders on Earth. So she became part of people's lives in a way that previous monarchs weren't able to. I don't think people really realize that because they can't remember who went before her and how they conducted themselves. They might not remember because Queen Elizabeth was the UK's longest reigning royal. And she didn't wait until her later years to bring about change. In fact, one of her most radical innovations happened on her very first day at work. In 1953, Queen Elizabeth agreed to broadcast her coronation live, an event that was previously among the most private of affairs. With the flip of the switch, so began a lifelong modernization of the monarchy. People actually went out and bought televisions just so they could see that moment. She had a big role to play in the emergence of reality TV. Over the years, Queen Elizabeth took advantage of mass media to make monarchy more accessible. From Christmas speeches to social media, This is the time of year. She used each screen in every channel to enter homes across the world. An idea that's easy to take for granted today, but was groundbreaking for her time. I think she was very quick to notice the loss of deference in society and realizing that to remain relevant, she had to connect with more people. Her connection with the public started on screen, but continued with her message that while she led the people, she was among them. It was a tough sell for a multimillionaire who epitomized formality. Yet it was one she managed to make by launching new custom that's so common today, it's impossible to imagine a time when it didn't exist, walking around and meeting people. She started walkabouts, going out to meet the public. These things feel normal to us now, but they didn't happen before she came to the throne. Before Queen Elizabeth, the royal family largely lived behind closed doors and only mingled with others like them. But on an Australian tour in 1970, she took her first walkabout and established a practice that's intrinsic to the monarchy today. The same goes for charity. She changed the role of monarchy by introducing the idea of voluntary service into the official role of monarchy. As Queen Elizabeth revolutionized the monarchy's role, she also cemented her own place among the world's most powerful leaders, with perhaps the most counterintuitive method of all, silence. In her seven decades on the throne, she'd met with American presidents and African dictators, and everyone in between. While the actions and impacts of these leaders are as diverse as the countries they come from, Queen Elizabeth met each and every one with the same neutral approach. And in doing so, she managed to spend nearly her entire career above the political fray. She'd been around for such a long time, and she wasn't a divisive figure. She represented continuity and stability. I think she gave Brits, and to some extent, people in other parts of the world, someone to look to in times of crisis and celebration. And that continuity might just have been her most subtle rebellion. As leaders came and went, as empires fell and new unions formed, as political movements swept across nations. It would have been easy to get caught up in the moment and speak out, but holding back 
took strength. She proved that if you could stay out of politics, stay away from opinions, you can have a long and successful monarchy. I think the only time you really saw her expressing any emotion was with horses. But beyond that, what do we really know about her? Perhaps not much about her personal life, but her public life changed the course of the Commonwealth, and in doing so, left a lasting impression not only on the British monarchy, but the world. That from CNN. We'll continue our tribute to Queen Elizabeth coming up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stefan Tubbs. Thanks for joining us on this Sunday, and we continue our tribute to Queen Elizabeth II on the American Veteran Show. When the abdication was announced, Elizabeth was catapulted into a new life. The relaxed lifestyle of we four was shattered. Their governess, Marion Crawford, tried to help the young princesses to adjust to the changes overwhelming the family. When they moved to Buckingham Palace, it was not what any of them expected. A lot of people think that these are fantastic places. They are luxurious, they... um, you know, exude comfort, but it is not like that. I think Crawford explained it when she said it's rather like camping in a museum. But the 10-year-old princess was able to join the girl guides and learn leadership skills early on. A lot of girls were asked to become members of the first Buckingham Palace Girl Guide Company, and I happened to be a lucky one. And so we got our uniforms, which was very exciting. And then we were divided into patrols. And I think I'm right, the Queen's was the Kingfisher. And I I was certainly the Robin patrol. I think she was her patrol leader too, so she had the responsibility for her patrol. We had to learn the promise. And we had to learn to tie knots and we had to learn to signal Morse code. That was fun. Elizabeth had a strong, serious character, but she did not have the training to mould it for the task ahead. It was her grandmother, Queen Mary, who insisted Elizabeth should get a more serious education to prepare her for her coming role. I remember being asked to a children's party at Buckingham Palace and seeing this very, very, very tall, absolutely straight, ramrod straight lady She always seemed sort of terribly unbending, as I think she was. It was Queen Mary's idea that Elizabeth should attend Eton College to study with Henry Martin. I was actually taught at one moment, I think, by Henry Martin. He was very grand. He was what was called Vice Provost. And um, he was pretty old, with a a fringe of white hair, rather small, uh, hobbled a little bit, but... Very, very beautiful, careful enunciation of every word. It was a rather old-fashioned sort of English. Elizabeth learnt so much from Henry Martin. History, constitution, politics, the way in which one governs. But he had two main messages that he gave to her, and she's treasured throughout her reign. Number one was the importance of political neutrality. Sir Henry Martin was very, very sure 
that the monarch should be politically neutral, should stay out of disputes and remain above them. And of course, Elizabeth has been politically neutral throughout her reign par excellence. The other great message that Henry Martin gave to Elizabeth was that of broadcasting. He said the most important thing you can do is get your voice out there, get your voice to the people, to those of empire, to those of Britain. And that has been something she has deployed brilliantly. On the 3rd of September 1939, Britain declared war on Germany. The King and Queen chose to remain in London, sharing the risks of the capital during wartime. Latest outrage of the Nazis' indiscriminate fury is the bombing of Buckingham Palace. The royal family became icons of the nation as Britain came under attack. I think the King and Queen were fantastic examples. They got a bomb outside Buckingham Palace and the Queen said she felt much better because they'd had exactly what everybody else had had. But the young princesses had their own role to play in supporting the war effort. Initially, there was secrecy about the whereabouts of Elizabeth and Margaret. Later, it was revealed that they were in Windsor Castle. For Margaret, it was an isolated existence. We packed for the weekend and stayed for five years. They put up some rather feeble barbed wire. Of course, wouldn't have kept anybody out, but it kept us in. Within a year, 14-year-old Princess Elizabeth had the opportunity to put the lessons she had learned from Henry Martin at Eton to good use. In 1940, she made her first ever radio broadcast in support of the war effort when she addressed evacuated children. The British hoped America would enter the war, where the broadcast was also heard. All of us children who are still at home think continually of our friends and relations who have gone overseas who have travelled thousands of miles to find a wartime home and a kindly welcome in Canada, Australia, New Zealand and the United States of America. My sister is by my side and we are both going to say goodnight to you. Come on, Margaret. Good night, children. Good night and good luck to you all. The broadcast had a huge effect on the British nation, but particularly it had a massive effect on America. Elizabeth is just a teenager herself, giving out this very sympathetic, empathetic message to the evacuated children. But the political ramifications of this are huge, and they do actually affect great political movements, America into the war. And that's the beginning of her realisation of how important her words can be. The princess had done her duty and made her first broadcast. She understood the power of the new technology, but for the rest of her life, she would battle with it. As the war continued, the dutiful young princess lived on wartime rations like the rest of the country. Although their meals were supplemented by food from the royal estates, frugality was second nature to Elizabeth. She had a Scottish mother and had grown up surrounded by canny Highland women. 
All of us who were brought up in the war were frugal. We had to be. The food was rationed, and they had the same rationing as everybody else. And the clothes were rationed. So, you know, it was, it was a part of life to be frugal, and I think it's very Scottish, too. And the Queen is Scottish. On their official visit to the Royal Naval College Dartmouth in 1939, Princesses Elizabeth and Margaret planted trees, and a cadet was assigned to look after them. When the King and the Queen took her to Dartmouth, Prince Philip was designated to sort of look after a bit and show her around. On the last night there, they gave a dinner party for a group of senior cadets. I should think probably 20 of them. And Prince Philip, of course, was one of those. A photographer happened to capture this significant meeting in a snapshot. There was tremendous excitement among the cadets as the royal yacht steamed away from Dartmouth at the end of the visit. As the Victorian Albert prepared to leave harbour, we'd all been told to get into these boats. And we all uh, rowed downstream and followed in the wake of the V&A until she cleared the harbour. And then off she went because we couldn't row as fast as she could steam. But one cadet didn't stop rowing. Prince Philip of Greece put on a burst of speed and pulled ahead of the other rowers. When they left, he got in a little boat and rowed out to sort of wave goodbye, which was quite a prank. And I should imagine rather frowned upon by the authorities. But that, I think, would have impressed her, and she would have thought enormous fun. And I think she must have seen something then, actually. We hope you've enjoyed our tribute to Queen Elizabeth II, and we will continue to follow as we get a day closer each day to her funeral, which, of course, will be televised live around the world. As we wrap up in our next segment, we talk about the Honor Bell Foundation. Certainly over the years, we've talked about them. There's a great event coming up, and we'll hear from a United States Marine veteran as he tells us about the organization. That comes up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. We wrap up this week's edition of the program with a look at a charity that we've highlighted so many times over the years, the Honor Bell Foundation. And after its inception, now it is headed by a United States Marine Corps veteran, Chris Boyer. So I fought in the uh, first Gulf War, Desert Storm, the United States Marines, Fox Battery, 2nd Battalion, 12th Marines. And I'm proud to say that Fox Battery were the first ground unit in Desert Storm to engage in combat. And we're in your debt, my brother. Tell me a little bit and tell everybody about how you get involved with the Honor Bell. You know, I, uh, for years and years in my past career, Sitting in my office, doing my job, I found myself constantly daydreaming about one day being able to work with and for my fellow veterans, brothers and sisters. And that really began with just my own journey on on conquering my issues with PTSD. And that meant engaging with a variety of different local nonprofits that 
help guys and gals like us. And it just kind of caught fire. Uh, from there, I started volunteering with and for these organizations. And it just became a passion. And one of those organizations was the Honor Bell Foundation. And you knew you were one of those guys. And, you know, you're you know, your story is um, sadly, I guess, so like so many veterans where, you know, you come back and you have to deal with the things that you did and the things that you saw. And I'm just uh, and I'm not blowing smoke. I am so proud of you for, you know, going through the steps and, and you know, some of the stuff that I'll I'll keep off the air. But, you know, you you've got this. You've got this tenacity and you have not quit. You haven't let your demons rule your life. And one of the things that I'm so happy about is that, you know, you now carry on in Lou and Michelle's uh, footsteps. And, and you know, you were what well, you were a young kid when you kind of knew that the Marine Corps was was for you and starting with right your military history and your family. Yeah, absolutely. So basically every every uh, adult uh, in my family growing up, every adult male was a veteran, and uh, most of which had seen combat. So my grandpa was in World War II, my father in Vietnam, uh, two tours, Marine Corps, and most all my uncles uh, were in Vietnam. So I just figured that if you want to be a grown-up, mm. <laughs> that's what you had to do. So, you know, as a little 8, 9, 10-year-old boy, that's... Uh, I had made the determination. Mm -hmm. Chris Boyer is uh, my friend, and he is um, right now the leader of the Honor Bell Foundation. And I know that some people listening, they've heard me talk so much over the years and on the American Veteran Show about what the Honor Bell is. But if you wouldn't mind, give people a primer again what it is, because it is absolutely gorgeous. I remember the first time ever that I saw it, uh, believe it or not, in, in Lou Oliveira's driveway as um, as this foundation was uh, was just taking part several years ago uh, and, and forming. But talk about the bell in specifics. Sure. The honor bell itself is a thousand pounds of bronze, um, which, ma which makes it a very beautiful instrument on its own. However, what makes it very special and unique is that cast into it are the artifacts from a dozen deceased Colorado veterans ranging from World War II to Iraq and Afghanistan. Some amazing stories in there. And that makes the Honor Bell truly forged from honor. And the Honor Bell's mission, and we've, it is mounted in a specially equipped vehicle so we can be mobile. We spend the vast majority of our time at Fort Logan National Cemetery where you'll find us there Monday through Friday tolling for veterans. So, you know, honoring veterans as they're being laid to rest is, is, is primarily what we do. And the bell is tolled only by veterans and only for veterans. And as of right now, we are um, averaging nearly 100 um, bell honors, veteran services per month. And coming up on Monday, and this will be on the American Veteran Show as well, so for those of you listening, uh, on Sunday here on KNUS, it'll be tomorrow, but um, on Monday, the the number is just staggering to me, and I'm so glad because with every bell ceremony, bell honors ceremony, you know, there's a family there, or at minimum, even if there are not family members, uh, say for someone that really had no family, you know, this veteran that's being laid to rest, they're getting the honors that they so richly deserve. But what is coming up on Monday? Because I remember the thousandth tolling. I remember the three thousandth tolling, and it's a pretty significant milestone coming up. Yeah, the three thousandth tolling just seemed 
like it was only a few months ago. Yeah. It's incredible how time flies. But uh, our first hole was on Memorial Day of 2016 at Fort Logan. And on Monday, we have the distinct privilege of honoring our 5,000th fact. 5,000th tolling. And I'll never forget, Lou and Michelle, you know, you, you ring a bell in joy, you toll a bell uh, in sorrow. It is truly amazing, 5,000 ceremonies. Is there going to be, Chris, um, any kind of special recognition because of the, the number that is significant, but every single time that a veteran tolls that bell, it obviously has um, a significant impact and it is of the utmost importance. You know, and, and you're absolutely correct. So for every single veteran that we toll for is, is very important. And, you know, what's also important is, you know, the what the family takes away from that, what they go home with, you know, with that special sense of pride and patriotism in their veteran, which, um, you know, they may not have realized or may have forgotten over the past. But um, we're not going to have any, you know, real fanfare over this. Um, um, it's all about respect and honoring the veteran, respecting the family, and and uh, you know we're we're gonna we're gonna you know continue this mission on Monday as if um, it was it was I don't want to say any other, but just as we would um, for all the veterans that we have the privilege to honor. Well, I hope to be out there as well. There's also you guys, uh, you know, obviously fundraising is so vitally important for any 501c3. Uh, if you'd like to donate or find out more information, friends, on the Honor Bell, it's honorbell.org, honorbell.org. What's coming up later this month? Boy, we have uh, later this month on Saturday, September the 24th at Behind the Scenes Tap House and at honorbell.org. You can, you can get all the info on it. Uh, we are having our second um, tribute to the fallen. So this event is going to be very memorable. It is a it is a fundraiser, but um, everybody and anybody is invited to come. Um, the cost of a ticket is ten dollars, so it's quite affordable. The opening ceremonies, I can tell you right now, are going to be very very memorable. Um, registration begins at twelve thirty, and there's going to be there's going to be a lot for people to, to see and do there. Um, you know, 1230 to four behind the scenes tap house, uh, honorbell.org or honorbell on Facebook or any of the social media platforms you'll be able to see about it. And we just hope you can come out and, you know, bring the kids, uh, bring your family and, uh, you know, just, uh, enjoy, enjoy being a patriot. Amen. Again, that is the second annual Tribute to the Fallen, September 24th. It's 2 to 7 p.m. behind the scenes uh, tap house that is in Littleton and all the details at the events tab, honorbell.org. I, I can't end the, the time with you without asking, how's Noodle? Ah, he's doing amazing. We just uh, introduced a, a cat to the family. Uh-oh. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Noodle, for for who doesn't know, he's a boxer pit bull, and he's my service dog. And, uh, you know, he looks like a ferocious beast, but he's really just a kitten. <laughs> he, he is he is a, a, a charging dump truck. <laughs> uh, it took a couple of months, but it's... it's so so, so dogs and cats can get along? Is that what you're trying to tell us? 
Yes, even even uh, bully breeds like uh, boxer pit bull mixes <laughs> and cats. So. Uh, that's awesome, and I I, I laugh and I know how much uh, Noodle. I mean, it's just goes almost no words could say what Noodle means to you, your service dog, and changed your life, didn't he? Yeah, I, well, we changed each other's life, so I couldn't imagine being without him. Brother Semperfy, to you, thank you for your service, your sacrifice for leading uh, the Honor Bell. Uh, nonprofit honorbell.org and um, just uh, a big salute to the men and women, the volunteers, and, and those of you that work so hard every day. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm lucky to be able to do it. Thank you. Again, honorbell.org for more information. For producer Michael Arpaio, I'm Stefan Tubbs. Have a terrific week ahead. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Take time out and remember our troops. Copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. Join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. Ah, ho, ho, ho. Hey, what's wrong, Santa? Well, it's these elves. The new ones all feel entitled. They don't want to work their way up the ladder. In fact, they hardly want to work at all. Then there's those social justice elves. They keep pointing out everyone's differences, dividing the elves and getting them all riled up. And don't get me started about the reindeer rights elves. The shop floor just isn't the happy little place it used to be. We should have used Red Balloon. That's right, Santa. Redballoon.work is America's woke-free job board. Every day we help good companies find reliable, motivated job seekers without all the woke nonsense. And our new Red Balloon recruiter service is turning traditional corporate recruiting on its head, delivering high-quality employees for a fraction of the price. Give yourself a Christmas gift and post your jobs on Redballoon.work today. And use promo code SALEM to get 10% off your first month's job posting. Because life's too short for a bad hire.